Hi, you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcast Series. My name is Leslie Klutz, professional golfer from Belgium, playing on the LPGA Symmetra Tour. I went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, go Heels, and enjoy the show. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Wallace Bruce and WB, and I am joined today by Mr. Justin Williams, the talented Mr. Justin Williams. How are you doing, sir? A whole lot better now that I'm with you, bud. Yes, it's always good to link up with you. And, mate, we've got a special guest today. We have a golfer. So, not only is she from the LPGA Tour, but she's also a coach. So, we're going to get into that and more. So, without any further ado, it's a big welcome to Tracy Hansen. Tracy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to be uh, on this podcast and uh, meeting you both virtually. Yeah. That's right. It's nice to meet you as well. So, Tracy, <laughs> tell us about uh, what's been going on this summer. Oh, this summer. So, what I mostly do is more mentoring and uh, counseling services for other athletes and since I am a golfer, specifically golfers. Um, so I spend my time with the Symmetra Tour, which is the developmental tour into the LPGA Tour. And really just I just offer my services of just conversations, life conversations, conversations about golf, conversations that might be spiritual conversations, it might be life, uh, like everything off the course. So really just there to talk to the girls. Nice. And that's timely because we we had a guest on from the Symmetra Tour, Leslie Klutz. You may have heard from her. Heard of her. She's from originally from Belgium, but she's at UNC down in Carolina. Yeah, I was browsing through your podcast and I saw that she was on there. And Leslie and I have um, just had some just hello kind of conversations. We haven't had really a sit down conversation at this point. No worries. Well, we have had a conversation. We like having conversations around here, don't we, Justin? Oh, all the time. It's what we do. So, yeah, Leslie, tell us a little bit more about that in terms of, I guess, if you don't mind, some of the conversations you have with the players. Because obviously, golf is a sport that's very individual. I know that players have caddies that can be assisting or can say the right things, but it's very much you and yourself out there on the course. So what are some of the things that you, I guess, talk to the players about on and off the course? Yeah, it's it's really probably centers mostly around uh, the anxious feelings or the like when they get nervous. And with golf, it's probably one of the hardest sports in the fact that we have all this time to think and very little time that we actually swing the golf club. So there's a lot of feelings and uh, nerves and anxiety that comes when you're playing for money and you're trying to play to get to that next level, which is the LPGA tour. And that's what all these girls are doing. So I have a lot of conversations around 
just how they're feeling and how to maybe develop some tools in in how their body's responding, how their mind's responding, and then even how their life is interacting with that. Right. And I guess that's probably taken a bit of a turn with the the situation we're going through now with the pandemic. And we're not golfers. Myself and Justin, we're not golfers. The, the third member of our team, Kobe, he is a golfer. But my point is, I think we're all experiencing a little bit of adversity in these times, maybe a little bit of anxiety as well. So what is something that you would say to some of our listeners that might be going through some stuff during these times? Uh, Sure. I think you're absolutely right. This has been kind of a surreal couple years for everybody. And um, some people have really excelled and had a lot of positive things happen as a result, and so many people have experienced hardship. And a lot of times we just keep going and going and going, and we never stop long enough to actually consider what we're feeling. And it's important to understand not only your emotions, but maybe even what your body is sensing. And then just taking a little bit of time to, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Where am I feeling anxious? And then just notice it, building that self-awareness. And then once we build some self-awareness, then we can take the next step of, oh, what might be a positive thing to do in response to that anxiety, a positive a coping skill, if you want to say, or a, an activity or a response versus a negative or an unhealthy response. Right. I like that. Yes, Tracy. So when you made the transition after you retired from being a professional golfer to, to essentially coaching and, and being a mentor, what was the biggest takeaway that you could give young and up and coming golfers aside from obviously the, the mental health aspect? Is there anything else that really you could give them? For up and coming golfers, I think in the, the talent pool and the depth of skill has exceeded what I experienced when I turned pro in my twenties and all these girls, all these young women are ready to win when they're coming out of college or um, in college. And so you really have to have a lot of patience with yourself. And I like to tell girls, like, what's your game plan? Are you giving yourself a, a two-year, three-year, five-year plan to kind of follow? Because a lot of times young women that come out of college that have experienced a lot of success they get on tour and then now you're playing for money you have expenses you're playing with other girls that are just as good or better than you and it's really easy to get discouraged and down on yourself and so I like to talk to girls about having like a game plan and sticking to the game plan and then making decisions based on that game plan plan the work and work the plan exactly yeah I like that yeah, thank you. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> okay. So in your retired life, how good are you now at mini putt? At mini putt? <laughs> <laughs> it it takes a pretty good twisting of my arm to get me to play mini putt. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I'll see if I can twist that arm later on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't have to twist my arm because um I yeah. <laughs> it's not for me. It's not. For me. I just want to get that out of the way real quick. It's not for me. I just, 
I've been on the course a few times and I have a added respect for golfers and what they go through, not just on one hole, but nine or 18. Yeah, that's, that's a level. Yeah, that's a level of skill that you got to hone over time, develop. I have a lot of respect for that. And not only did you do that yourself, but you're also one of the top rookies when you first started the game. T- tell us about that, how, how you took up the game and I guess how it was early on in your career. Well, if we go back to where I really started, I started around eight or nine and just kind of going out and playing with my dad. And I actually didn't really like it at first. I'd get really angry on the golf course. And so it wasn't until I played my first little tournament at age 10 that I'm like, oh, I won a trophy. I kind of like this. And then I just started playing. Um, I only I grew up in the north where it snowed, so I only played during the summer months. And then I played other sports and really enjoyed that during my childhood. It was in college that I really feel like I my level of skill ramped up and I, I had a very successful college career. So it was around my junior year of college that I'm like, huh, I think I actually couldn't play this game as a pro. And I would say that I was, it was a, not an easy transition for me to go from college golf to pro golf. It took me a couple of years to kind of really settle in. And I competed for the rookie of the year title that in 1995, which was my first year on the LPJ Tour, against my former San Jose State teammate, Pat Hurst. Uh, we battled it out, and she edged me out by just a couple points. So, you know, professional golf is just, it's streaky, and you can have uh, a really series of weeks that are really good, and then you might have a series of weeks that are really bad. And that's probably one of the harder things about the amount of tournaments that we play in one year, that there's a lot of ups and downs. For sure. Speaking of ups, you you, you mentioned the north. How, how far north are we talking? Michigan, Minnesota? <laughs> well, I currently am living in Michigan, but I grew up in northern Idaho, about two hours from the Canadian border. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll see you in Michigan and raise you Ontario. That's where we are. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, we're just, just across that rainbow bridge. But I did notice that you have you have your own pro-am, which is really cool. The Tracy Hansen Initiative Pro-Am in Michigan at Sagatuck. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have a nonprofit organization, and that's I raise money so that I can offer my services free to the the athletes. And so the Pro-Am is one way that I raise money, and and I actually use the Symmetra Tour players to come and play with my amateurs. And it's it's a way to bless those ladies with a little extra income and some West Michigan hospitality. And then I, I, I'm i also able to raise some money for the nonprofit. Nice. And um, just in terms of Michigan hospitality, what's, what's some of the food that is known in the region or in the state? Well, in the west side where I'm currently at, it's very Dutch-influenced. Um, and so there's a lot of baked goods and... Um, Blueberries are big over here, so that's yes, always fun in the summer <laughs> to pick pick your the mass of blueberries. Otherwise, other than the kind of the Dutch themes, it's um, there's a lot of craft beer and craft foods that are popping up in Grand Rapids and Holland and some of the lakeside towns. Nice. 
Uh, well, the guy who is next to the trio that we are, he loves golf and he's part Dutch, so it's really sad that he's well, not able he, to be here. <laughs> he needs to come visit West Michigan then. There we go. Get his clubs and get, get on down to the Pro-Am. But um, Justin, Justin loves blueberries, don't you, Justin? <laughs> so I love blueberries so much to the point I have blueberry uh, tea, I have blueberry honey, I have blueberry hot sauce, I have blueberry pie. Like, it's an addiction. Wow, I'm impressed. Some are impressed. Some call it a concern. It's, <laughs> my therapist and I are still working out what it actually is. Okay, good. Uh, but you've mentioned you were two hours from the Canadian border, and we're talking about cuisine. And I have a question for you. Have you been to Canada to consume a poutine? I have not. Uh, so I grew up out in the West, you know, so I don't know if British Columbia is uh, would uh, have that. So I would have to come to Ontario. Well, I would hope it would have it. I mean, it is a Canadian staple, but uh, do you know what a poutine is by chance? Or am I just rambling off something? Well, describe it because I've had, I've been in Canada in many different places. Okay. So a glorious poutine is fries, cheese curds, and gravy. That's the very traditional one. Okay. I have not eaten that and I have heard of it. Oh my God. So whenever you eat... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whenever you come here to teach me how to play golf and mini putt, I must invest in a poutine. There we go. Okay. That's the move. Sounds good. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Circling back a little bit, Tracy, if you don't mind, because I did a little bit of reading on the your nonprofit, and it's very. It looks like it's a great initiative and does great work. So, if you don't mind, do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about the Tracy Hansen Initiative? Sure. Um, it was really born out of in the after. Uh, I don't want to say aftermath, but kind of in the days um, following a long journey of me doing some counseling and my own personal healing. And some of that includes an abuse story from childhood. And some of that is wrapped around just the kind of the uh, performance identity acceptance that happens with a lot of athletes and that and how I used performance to really feel loved and adored and noticed. And when I left the tour in 2009, I actually hated golf. And I never wanted to play it again. I was done. I was like, just let me do something totally different. And so when I went on this journey of um, counseling and healing, what I realized is that if I could have gotten this type of care when I was in my 20s, that I would have experienced my professional career a lot differently. Mm -hmm. So then the passion started to grow inside of me is that, you know, I've been given this gift to play golf and that I can use my status as a golfer to help other athletes. And so that's why I spend time on the Symmetra Tour because those young women don't have a lot of access to emotional and mental health support. I also do some training for uh, sports leaders who need just to understand trauma and the emotional components that athletes are struggling with so that they can be better leaders. 
Um, so that's really what the initiative is about, is just creating these safe opportunities for athletes and sports leaders to talk about trauma, their own stories, get some care, and then how to help other people. That's beautiful. No, that's that's really awesome. And it's, yeah, it's really good that uh, we had, that athletes now have that outlet because, again, it's, it's, a, it's a sport where you're alone and to have someone that has been there before and can impart some, some of their knowledge and experience, that's really enriching, no doubt, for the, the young golfers of today. And I, I salute that, you know, I salute oh, that. Thank you. That you've taken the time to set this up and to make sure that the, those have come after you have a better experience than what you had when you played. That's the healing in action, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's been such a, in a positive way, the awareness of mental health struggles in our sports world has definitely been on the rise, which has been so needed. And there have been a lot of people fighting for that awareness. And so I'm so thankful that more and more athletes are getting care and we still have a long ways to go. Yes, no doubt. I mean, the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, many describe it as the mental health Olympics. Mm-hmm. You know, competing without fans in the stands. So there wasn't that adulation that you touched on, the the, the performance. I forget the term that you mentioned, but the... The performance acceptance. That's right. There's, there's less of that when there's less fans in the stands. So it's really you and and the sport. So you can feel even more isolated. Now... Tracy, when you went on to the tour, you actually played for the U.S. in the Curtis Cup. It was a, I believe that's the amateur uh, tournament, team tournament between the United States and Great Britain and Ireland. Is that correct? Correct. So I was on that team when I was in college before I turned pro. Nice. And you still follow team golf? Yeah, I I wasn't able to watch any of the Ryder Cup this this September because I was hosting a retreat, uh, but I did watch some of the Solheim Cup and th- some of the sad part is I'm I'm now old enough that I don't know many of those players, but I do enjoy watching the the competition and the the enthusiasm and the um, the support that each team gets and um, it's it's such a different type of golf that really. It, Americans struggle a little bit more playing team golf, where typically the UK and Europe, they do that more as they grow up. And so it's a little bit more uh, friendly or common for them. Yeah, I did notice that actually, because the, the Ryder Cup going into it, the, the Americans seemed a little bit more, I guess you could say fragmented for lack of a better term, more siloed, whereas the Europeans, they were coming into it like they were a unit, they were together, they'd done this before. And I felt like even growing up with the golf that I've watched, that, that's been a theme for a number of years, uh, that men's and women's, the Europeans seem to come in with that, that unified front for whatever reason. Yeah, it, it's it's the way that they do amateur golf over there is a lot different than we do it here in America. Right. And what's your take on golf in the Summer Olympics? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's valid. It's a valid sport. And there's a lot of other world competitions that exist for golf. And so when it came to Brazil, I, my question or wonder was like, is it that really big of a deal for the golfers? 
So you and we saw that a lot of top players actually decided not to try to go for the team or they made the team and then they decided not to play versus like a like I I know you had Laura Wilkinson on and as a diver like you're like that's like your one shot like your one big world shot you know and so I'm not sure if the golf community has embraced it as much as other sports in the Olympics hmm. but this last Olympics there was some phenomenal golf that was played yeah for sure and it was great to see when you were golfing did you have like you like a a set of clubs that were your own favorite kind of deal, like tailor made, or like, do you have, do you have a brand that you kind of stuck with, or did you kind of bounce around until you found like it was like a collection of brands? For many years, had a collection in the same bag, so right. my irons might be one brand and my woods were another brand. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a club called Henry Griffiths, which is really one of the first original fitted fitted clubs. Mm-hmm. based on lie angle and a lot of different specs. So I played them for the majority, like all of my childhood and into my first handful of years as a pro. And then I switched over to some tailor-made irons. And then the drivers and the putters were always like kind of rotating those through, always trying the new thing. And if you're not on a ca- contract with a company, then you can play whatever you want every week. Right. Which I mean... That makes sense. I mean, I, I would prefer almost a collection of random clubs as opposed to one. <laughs> now, just a, a bit of a fun kind of question to ask you. If you could play golf with one person in history, who would it be? Uh, you know, the first name that comes to my mind is Babe Zaharis. Ooh, going old school. Yeah, like she's just, she's one of the top women athletes of all time. and. I think that would be really cool to play around golf with her. Nice. That would that would be legendary to play yeah. around golf with her. I would want to play around golf with her. Yeah. Yeah, Babe Zaharias was legendary, as Justin mentioned, and she and Patty Berg, they were instrumental in establishing the LPGA, which for our listeners is actually not as long-standing as you might think. It was founded in 1950, I believe. Yes. With I think it was a tournament in Florida, but Having entered the tour towards the end of the 20th century and looking at where the game is now, would you say the LPGA has grown in that time? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think there's more young women that are being introduced to the game earlier in their life. And I feel like my era, my decade was kind of like an in-between decade. Like the before me, all those women that were working so hard to establish the tour – there was a lot of, you know, women in sports was still kind of uh, looked down upon. Mm-hmm. And so those women who established the LPGA, they fought really hard for the tournaments that they had, the little bit of money they were playing for. And I, I played during an era that purses were going up. There was more money available. The quality of play was wonderful. But then since I left the tour, I mean, the talent pool is just tenfold more. The available money that they're playing for has, it's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it for the women's game. They're playing for a lot of money. They really become a global tour. So they're playing all over the world. And I think the the, the ladies are stronger. They're hitting it farther. They're, they're shooting lower scores. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And from a tournament in Florida, the game has expanded to all four corners. I mean, you only need to look at the last Summer Olympics. You had the dominance of the, the Korean golfers. You had someone from New Zealand uh, in, in Lydia Ko. Thailand, Philippines, it's it's blowing up in Asia. You have Australians as well playing it. Obviously, the US is doing their thing. You have Mexico represented, Europe, other parts of the world. So I guess the question is this, how do we grow the game further? Well, COVID was uh, has been actually a, an influencer in growing the game in the last year and a half because it's an outdoor activity. And one of the few things that was accessible during the shutdown. The problem is, is the, the cost factor of golf. And it's an expensive game. And so it, I think that if we don't continue to have available public golf resources and opportunities that down the road, it could switch again where it's on the decline instead of the, um, instead of growing. So there definitely needs to be some work about like how do you make this game affordable and uh, available to um, all social levels of our our society and and make it fun. Like sometimes I don't know. There's been some people that have kind of played around with like a 14 hole course, shorter mm-hmm. courses because you know golf takes a long time to play as well, and not everybody has four or five hours of their day to go play. Mm-hmm. So those are definitely some things I think that need to continue to be on the forefront of the conversations. And I think the USGA and the RNA do have those conversations. So it it will be interesting to see what happens in the next five to ten years. Right. Now, just one quick question before I throw it to Justin, because you've piqued my interest here. Because thinking about some other sports around the world, sports like cricket and rugby, they have shortened versions of the game. And then the basketball went to a has a three by three half court format, which we saw at the Olympics. Could you see something feasible like a a nine hole or a maybe even a six hole game of golf? I don't know whether it's mixed or whether it's uh, gender specific, but something like that that's maybe made for TV. Do you think that would help with I guess getting more eyes on the game? Hmm. That's an interesting question because even with some of the celebrity things or the little TV promoted events, there's still 18 holes, but it's usually only two to four people, two to four players. So that was, yeah, I, I could see where a shorter version of what we're doing or what we play would be more enticing. Okay. Well, something to think about it. Just a, just a thought. <laughs> I always like to say in retirement, you know, I'm on the senior tour now, but we don't really have much to play in. We only have a few events. And so I'm like, I'm a really good nine-hole player. Yeah. (laughs) I think if I played golf, I'd be nine holes as well. (laughs) Well, my mini putt game takes me to 13, so pretty good that way. (laughs) That driver, my driver goes farther than my ball does. That's just just put it out there. <laughs> All right, happy Gilmore. <laughs> I'm not joking. I was at the driving range like last year, and my buddy was trying to teach me. I shoot left, and I hit it, and I sliced it so far to the left that a kid thought it was his ball. I was like, Haha, you're welcome, sir. <laughs> <laughs> 
For those of you on Facebook, don't forget to check out our Pro Sports Podcasters page as well as the Pro Sports Podcasters group if you're interested in finding out up-to-date information on our most recent podcast, plus additional information you can ask us directly using Facebook as the medium. What's the next one you're going to be attending? I will be actually heading out uh, this week to the Symmetra Tour, and they're playing in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a new golf course, new location, but I think it's a, a sponsor from last year that moved the event. Okay. I mean, that's pretty good. Being a part of anything inaugural is always a fun time, no? Yeah. <laughs> will you actually be playing there, or will you be um, giving some advice and then coaching the ladies along through? Yeah, I'll be there for mentoring and counseling. Um, I played an event at the end of August. That was the LPGA Senior Championship, okay. and that was played in French Lick, Indiana. Ooh, that seems like a fun time. Yeah, so that was my that will be my last event for the 2021 season. Uh, do you have any big ones coming up in 2022? Hopefully, hopefully that one again. Um, and then I I. And I'm not sure if I should say this on air or not, but I turned 50 in a month and right. I will be trying to play the USGA US Senior Women's Open next year. Nice. Well, you'll yeah. have fans in Canada rooting you on. Yeah. There we go. And you'll have a poutine for when you come up to celebrate. Yes. Perfect. Exactly. Actually, I'll join you on the course. I'll just walk around with blueberries and poutine. I'll be like, don't worry about it. It's an inside thing. Let me be. Well, you know, we're playing in Ohio next year, so it's not too far for you. You know what? We'll come down. Keep us go. in touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we can get, if you yeah, can if get into get, the country, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, y'all would love to get media passes for that. Are you kidding me? That'd be amazing. I, oh my god, I would love to walk around with a mic and just stick it in people's faces, being like, "Question for you: Did you mean to hit that tree?" <laughs> Remember, we're we're the senior golfers, not the young golfers. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. <laughs> No. You were once hip, but now how is your hip? Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Oh, Justin. Okay, so Justin, I should point out we are speaking to a, not a one-time Hall of Famer, but a two-time Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Tracy's in the Hall of Fame for San Jose State University, where she won numerous college titles, and she's in the Hall of Fame for the National Co- Golf Coaches Association. So, Tracy, you have to tell us a little bit about that. The National Golf Coaches Association was a a very high honor where it's really the golf coaches from around the U.S. that decide that honor. So I don't remember what year it was, but very honored. And we had a a fun celebration night. There was, uh, you know, we do banquets and you got to give a speech and all that. And then uh, the... The San Jose State Hall of Fame, I'm in there as an individual for winning 11 times and being a part of a NCAA championship team. And so uh, that's a great honor as well. And then I'm actually in the one more Hall of Fame in the state of Idaho. Oh, wow. My God. Good things come in threes, right? <laughs> Idaho. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm, I'll be honest. I know that Idaho's famous for potatoes. I, is the capital Boise? Yes. No. Very yes. Good. Yes. Well, I got that go right, there. Justin. See that? You see that? I got that right. Yeah. There we go. You did indeed. I'm so yeah. proud of you. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad someone's proud of me. I'm very interested in the background and, and like what got you to where you are. And you, you obviously touched on that. But I'm also kind of like, because you, you have all these accolades. So I just want to know if there's if there's something that 
that really stands out to you or that's like more meaningful than than anything else like again it's kind of hard to compare that but like is there something that really sticks out that you were like the most proud of you know i experienced a lot of adversity through my career with my back but then i i lost three female members of my family in like a six year window right. to cancer and and the first one was my mother and so I didn't. I never won on tour, but I tied and lost in a playoff. Mm-hmm. And it was that event that um, it was three months after my mom had died. And I, after my mom died, it, I was back playing. And like four weeks later, and I was too soon. And but it's what I knew what I should do. And so I, I was out there, and I was very lonely, and I was still grieving, and I was struggling. When I showed up in Minnesota in August for that event, I mean, there was no reason why I would think that I was going to play as well as I did. Mm-hmm. But somehow I found myself kind of the last day with the the lead and kind of fighting back and forth. And it was exciting. I was nervous. I was an emotional wreck uh, because actually in Ontario, hey. I don't remember the golf course, but like like a month prior, I was like trying to not cry on the course because I, uh, I was grieving and I'm trying to make the cut at an El- at the DeMaurier championship and I could barely hold it together. And so to find myself coming down the last hole and ended up tying going into the playoff, I it, as much as I wanted to win the tournament, I was just so emotionally encouraged to mm-hmm. be in the hunt and to like, feel my mom's presence with me and to um to feel some life again after the last three months of just grieving so that's a a moment in my career that really stands out yeah that would that is a powerful moment wow jeez it takes a, a really strong person to go through what you did and be as successful as you were in that time right and I have a Christian faith and it was probably like I there was moments where I was like so angry at God and mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to do with him. And then there were other moments where it was the only thing that kept me going. Mm-hmm. I guess that inner strength, if you will, I guess that would have driven you as well on the course in that in those times, having that inner strength and confidence, if well, it's probably not the best word to use, but that angel in your corner. Yes. Thank you, Justin. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, for me, my faith has kept me focused that there's a bigger purpose in life than even in all the ways that I have struggled with sport and, you know, how it's crashed in on my identity and, and have had to wrestle with that. But my faith has also given me a bigger picture and perspective that there's, there's more to life than just what we do. Mm. And it doesn't come easy to find that. And I still struggle even, you know, almost 50 years old. And it doesn't always make sense. And my faith definitely is what kind of gets me up out of the bed in the morning and say, okay, this, what is, what is my purpose today? Mm-hmm. And that's important because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes yes. it's very, very hard. You were able to not only have a successful golfing career, but you've also set up this foundation, the Tracy Hansen Initiative. So for our listeners, if you want to find out more, please visit tracyhanson.com. Tracy, is there any uh, other things that you wanted to tell our listeners or any social medias that you wanted to share with um, our listeners? The social medias are, 
most of them are at Tracy Hansen Initiative, so they can find. Uh, I'm not a huge social media poster. Every now and then I'll post. But I think, you know, when it comes to sport and our culture, there's the tendency to put athletes on pedestals and to only see the highlight reel. And that it, I think it's really important to remember that every one of our athletes, no matter what country they're from, and even coaches and People in the sports leadership side, you know, they're human beings. Mm -hmm. And as much as we think that we can compartmentalize, that we're, we're body, mind, and soul people. And, and we have to care for our athletes as if they're human beings and not just things that we get to get, be entertained by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I think that was even more so. I keep harping back on it, but we are in Olympic year, and some the someone just finished the winter one's coming around the corner. But it does happen during these events where you know you're lauded if you come back with the piece of metal, but if you don't, then whatever. But it's not like that. It's these are professional. These are the people who are the best at what they do. They're in the one percent, the zero point five percent of their sport, and like you said, they're also human beings. They have things that they're they're going through while they're trying to pursue this excellence. Sometimes we forget that as observers or fans of the sport. Yeah, and I would just recommend, no matter who you are, athlete or not athlete, like you said earlier, I think, me, that you were you said it, that we all need people to talk to. Mm -hmm. And it's not a weakness. You know, we're created to, for connection. And so we can find help even in just a good friendship. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes... We do need to be a little bit vulnerable to, to take that first step, to, to reach out. But it's definitely very important, and you will feel better for doing it, for sure. So let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So there we have yeah. it. Tracy Hansen, three-time Hall of Famer, LPGA player, uh, current coach and mentor, and friend of the show. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you both, too, and um, thanks for just a nice... Uh, interesting conversation that I hope our listeners will um, take away something from it. I think they will. 